Our second scripture reading is taken from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. Jesus said, But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Woo, that is quite a passage to begin the new calendar year of the church. We don't have the animals or the stable just yet. Instead, Our new year, the Advent year, starts off with a bang, just not the kind we expect. As the sparkling lights of Christmas emerge, the stockings get hung, the cookies baked, the stores overrun, and the packages bought, wrapped, and shipped. This scripture invites us to a different posture. The church has always insisted that Advent not begin inside a cozy, warm Hallmark card. But on the peak of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sitting with his disciples overlooking the temple and speaking of ultimate and final things just days away from his crucifixion. We, or at least I, prefer the Hallmark card, of course, because it's easier. In Mark's Gospel, we don't get That easy stuff, the birth narrative, the cozy animals, or the angels proclaiming good news of great tidings. Instead, on this first Sunday of Advent, Mark begins with this harrowing image of the natural order of creation coming to a cataclysmic end. It certainly sounds like the end of the world. The sun has failed, the moon has failed. The stars are falling every which way, and all the powers in heaven are losing their mind. Everything is falling apart. Where does this 
appear in our Christmas pageants. The first Sunday of Advent always turns to this frightening apocalyptic drama, disrupting the joyful, jolly atmosphere we long for and turning us to look at the stark world as it really is because it is here, not some pretend fantasy, where Christ's hope is found, rooted, and grows. That is what apocalyptic literature aims to do. It's not aimed to scare us, though it is often alarming, but it names life as it is, and then it refrains it in the light of hope and the great expectation that God is working and God's great promise will be realized. And so we live with this great tension between the way the world wants to appear with chestnuts roasting over an open fire and white Christmases and the world as it actually is, with missiles again flying in Israel and Gaza. Somehow we must reckon this. And so do we hear Christ's words? Are we alert? Are we awake? Are we ready and looking for Christ's return? So Advent is about watchfulness, waiting with great anticipation for God to be born in flesh and blood, keeping awake and alert with eyes to discern God's movement in this world and Christ's return once again. It's naming that longing, that continual longing that we have for the fulfillment that has been promised to us by God. In Christ's disruptive arrival, a new order is created, new life emerges, but we're not there yet. And so it's hard to wrap our minds around the cosmic expectation of Jesus' coming. And that's why we tend towards the sweet babe in the manger flanked by all those animals. We can paint apocalyptic, dystopian visions of the sky falling as many end-time fanatics have done before and will probably continue to do. But in the meantime, we're living and experiencing life now. And so we plant hope and Jesus' promise to return within our hearts and just pray that we can get through each day that God gives us. Life is hard. Life is messy and unexpected. We need only turn on our TVs or devices for 30 seconds to learn of more war or another scandal or mass shooting. Yet, in the midst of what seems to be more disaster and more sorrow, Jesus admonishes us to keep alert for his return. And with that comes this expectant hope. Pastor Jill Duffield writes, anticipating both the birth of baby Jesus and the return of the risen Christ calls us to live as Paul admonishes in 1 Corinthians 13. Keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous and strong. Recognizing the tension between trusting that the Lord is on the way, but not knowing when he will make his appearance, marks for lives of daily faithfulness. Marked not by fear and anxiety, but by hope and expectation that the Lord is near. And so we know whose we are, 
We know whose future is sure. We know who the potter is and that we are the clay. We know that the world is about to turn and the direction that it will surely go. So the future ahead is God's. But how we live in the meantime matters. We don't simply sit on the sidelines simply observing, but we enter into the story that God is molding and shaping. We become co-participants with God. Our hope becomes an active one alongside God. We embody hope, looking for signs of God's presence breaking into our broken world. Until then, we pray that Jesus is with us in every messy moment of life and that we, even we, are bold enough to step into the mess with Christ. Amidst the brokenness and violence that is so rooted in our world, hope is a radical countercultural posture to take when chaos and war seem inevitable. Hope is not just another four-letter word that we throw around as people of fate, but the deep expectation and longing for our God in the midst of a world whose narrative is based in scarcity and despair. Hope rejects this narrative and insists that those are not the final word. It insists that God's story is one where all of God's children know love, mercy, justice, and God's abundance. And so the Advent, Advent, the liturgical season before Christmas, it means coming or arrival and points to our participation and points to our participation of Christ's return. But it waits for us to show up and act as though God's realm of peace and justice are already here. How are we living into that? So our hope is far from passive. We don't casually wait and twiddle our thumbs. We live into an active hope, one that leads into the muck and mud of life where we find Jesus most readily. Jesus preached about the coming of God's kingdom, but more often he was found on the margins of his community with the poorest and the outcast. He enacted God's hope and showed us glimpses of God's kingdom among those that had the tiniest hope and little reason to expect anything more. And so this becomes our calling too, to show up and share God's hope now with those who believe that hope is impossible. Our hope takes on flesh when our own hands and feet reach out to those who need justice and mercy now. We enact our longing for God by rewriting the story that is happening around us. Then, then quite possibly, God shows up in ways we could never have anticipated, surprising us and giving us just a taste of what hope fulfilled looks like. While bombs are devastating Israel and Gaza, heated politics taking over the media and gun violence continuing to rampage, it is, sim- it is easy to simply put it all out of mind and choose to ignore it, to forget it. It's a world away. There's nothing we can do about it. But this is giving in to the temptation of silence and despair. We resist this temptation 
instead crying out our lament to God, insisting that the Creator remember God's faithfulness to our ancestors, insisting that God deliver us and embody the hope that Christ promises. And so we lift our prayers of hope, and then we make sure that they take wings and fly, turning into action. As our prayer of hope flies off, it also stays tethered to us and opens our eyes to the reality around us. All of the life-giving things as well as the life-taking things. We may train our eyes on the world to come, but we also live squarely in this world right now. The 5th century African bishop Augustine once wrote, Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. Isn't that beautiful? And so it is this that we cling to, this posture of hope as people of faith, allowing, allowing anger to propel us forward and courage to embolden us to stand in the darkness and work for God's justice and mercy. We don't fear anger or courage because God's Spirit promises to move in us and through us. And so hope isn't this fragile thing for us. It is a solid, this indestructible force that can handle us kicking it around, throwing it in the weeds, grappling with it, arguing with it, and still hold true even when we are doubting and struggling even when we are feeling weary. It can weather all things, including looking at the stark truth of the world around us, even if that truth is laced with sorrow and suffering. The season of Advent invites us, theologian Debbie Thomas writes, to describe life on earth as it is, and not as we mistakenly assume our religion requires us to render it into our surrounding cultures of denial and spin, apathy and hedonism, we are called to speak the whole truth. We need God. We need God to show up. We need God to stay. We need God to love, hold, deliver, and restore us. This is the hope that we cling to. But it requires naming reality as it is, acknowledging that the Christ child outgrows the precious stable scene and grows into the adult Messiah who is found in the weeds rather than the carefully coiffed garden with those who have been kicked around by life and delivers hope to them. And that is where hope leads us, not to consume more, or to attempt to be our best, most successful, perfect selves as society dictates, but to be so compelled by the hope that Christ gives us that we can't help but find ourselves sharing it and joining Christ in the weeds. We don't know when Christ will return again, and that's hard. During Advent, we acknowledge that we live with great anticipation in that Already and not yet, that liminal space of knowing that Christ has already come and inaugurated the beginning of God's kingdom. 
but that it is not yet fully realized, and we still await his return. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Debbie Thomas writes again, this is not an easy task in today's world, which applauds arrivals, finish lines, shortcuts, and end products far more than it does the meandering journey or odd way station. Eugene Peterson calls the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. And I don't think we can get more countercultural than that. If the secular world speeds past darkness to the safe certainty of life, then Advent reminds us that necessary things, things worth waiting for, happen in the soft, fertile dark. Next spring, seeds break open in dark winter soil. God's spirit hovers over dark water, preparing to create worlds. The child we yearn for grows in the deep darkness of the womb. And as we wait, we remember that we are that soft, fertile soil, sowing seeds of hope, knowing that it is only in God's time that all will be revealed. We may not see the fruits of the hope we sow, but that's not the point. We pass on hope to the next generation and help train their eyes to be alert and keep awake. Theologian Caroline Lewis writes, the charge to keep awake during this Advent season is not just about waiting and anticipation. It's not just about getting ready or being ready, because can you ever really be ready for Christ's coming? Can we ever be ready for God entering into humanity, into our sinfulness and brokenness, into our pain and loss, into our joy, into our love, into our longing? The answer is no. An Advent will never be long enough to prepare. That's the point. God arrives regardless of our readiness. God shows up despite our determination toward manifesting our own destiny. God will come no matter what kind of stipulations or conditions or provisions we make to persuade God of our timeliness. And thank God for that. And so we wait, but we wait with a hope that guides us into the world where God gives us glimpses of the kingdom that is to come. Let's embody that hope together. Amen. Let us now close with a prayer of dedication, which will end with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. You have met us at this table, O God, and now we prepare to meet you again in a stable in Bethlehem and in glory when your kingdom comes. Give us the grace and the impatience to wait for your coming from the bottom of our toes to the edges of our fingertips. Come in your power and come in your weakness. Come and make all things new. Hear us now as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to say together. Our Father, Father, who who art art in heaven, heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.